Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 30. It's October, which means it's Texas Wine Month. We'll get the celebration off on the right foot with my guest, Jennifer McInnes Fidel, General Manager of Bending Branch Winery in Comfort, Texas. I'm also sharing the latest news about the Texas wine industry. We've got results from the 2021 Texas Vintners Cup. Texas Monthly and Uncork Texas Wines put together that effort to recognize 12 very special Texas wines. Plus hear about California wineries coming to Texas, wineries and vineyards for sale, and more. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Today's Texas Wine News segment is sponsored by Texas Fine Wine, which includes Bending Branch, Dukeman Family Winery, Paternalis Cellars, and Spicewood Vineyards. Join Texas Fine Wine for its annual Texas Wine Month dinner on October 15th. Go to texasfinewine.com for details. The October edition of Texas Monthly Magazine has a 10-page spread that highlights 12 Texas wines selected to represent the best wines Texas is producing now. Texas Monthly and the Texas Department of Agriculture's Uncorked Texas Wine Program teamed up on this effort. A team of three judges evaluated 260 wines that were submitted from 67 wineries. They were looking for complexity, balance, and typicity. That's whether or not the wine demonstrated signature characteristics for that particular grape variety. Let me tell you about the judges. First up, Jessica Dupuis, who has been a guest on this podcast. She's a certified sommelier and author of The Wines of Southwest USA. She also writes about wine for Texas Monthly. The next two judges are both master sommeliers. James Tidwell is the co-founder of Texom, one of the world's largest wine education conferences. He also runs the Texom International Wine Awards. And finally, Jack Mason, who is in charge of the Texas portfolio of RNDC Distributing. He and James Tidwell both have a strong restaurant background and have obviously demonstrated their tasting chops to have earned their master sommelier credentials. And now for the winners. For White Wines... The Fall Creek Vineyards 2019 Chardonnay from Certainburg Vineyards, Kerrville Hills Winery 2019 Simeon, Lewis Wines 2020 Swim Spot, McPherson Cellars 2020 The Queen Viognier, and Wedding Oak Winery 2019 Roussan. There was a rosé winner too, and it was Slate Theories 2020 Senso Rosé. Winners for Red Wines, Bending Branch Wineries 2017 Tanat from Newsom Vineyards. Lost Draw Cellars 2019 Sangiovese from Alta Loma Vineyard, McPherson Cellars 2019 Carignan, Texas Heritage Vineyards 2018 Susau, Triple N Ranch Wineries 2019 Malbec, and Vinovium 2016 Sketch Tempranillo Blend. First, I'll note that of the 11 wineries represented, I've interviewed the owner, winemaker, or general manager of eight, so that's cool. But here are a couple of my general impressions about the winners. Number one, I noted that McPherson Cellars is the only winery with two selections on the list. Number two, it's not a huge surprise that Texas Tempranillo made the list, but what I thought was interesting was this quote by James Tidwell. He says, the best of the Tempranillo wines were blends, and this was the best of the best. He's talking about the sketch Tempranillo blend by Vinovium. Now, I actually haven't ever tried that wine, and although I've seen the label, I wasn't very familiar with it, but come to find out the label is a collaboration with Mila Sketch, an Austin artist, and a different winemaker each year. The winemaker for this 2016 that won was Randy Hester, who you may know from CL Buto. This wine is a blend of Tempranillo with Alicante Boucher and Petit Syrah. Next, I noticed that three of the five most planted white grapes are represented with wines on this list. Chardonnay, who some argue doesn't grow well in Texas, and most agree requires a very special site to do well here, is on the list with the Fall Creek Vineyard selection. And if you heard my last podcast with Susan Aller of Fall Creek, you heard about their Chardonnay. 
Of course, the most planted grape in Texas is Blanc de Bois. It appears on this list in Swim Spot, Lewis Wine's lightly effervescent and low-alcohol wine. Finally, the McPherson Viognier represents a white grape that some think is the finest white grape in Texas. But this one is made in a very unique style with skin contact, so it's basically an orange wine. And it's primarily available at a certain restaurant in D.C. called Queen's English. So this is a wild yeast skin fermented Texas High Plains Viognier, a very different style for McPherson. From what I could tell on social media, they hope to make more and make the wine more widely available. Number five, when it comes to the top five most planted red grapes in Texas, Tempranillo made the list, of course, and so did Sangiovese. But there's no sign of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, or Morvedra. The honorable mention list includes the Pedernales Cellars Nuzo, a Bordeaux blend that's predominantly Cab and Merlot. And Vinovium Social Distance is another honorable mention that also includes Cab and Merlot in the blend and supporting roles. Jessica Dupuis said that they were happy with the strong participation in this event and that overall the judges noticed that the warm climate Iberian grapes, those native to Spain and Portugal, seem to be some of the strongest performers. She also noted that several slightly more obscure varieties rose to the top, but that classic European varieties were also well represented. She mentioned that it was clear that white wines struggled to maintain natural acidity. Unfortunately, we saw a lot of overcorrection for this in the finished wines, she said. The judges gave 18 additional wines honorable mentions. Check out the full article by going to the show notes and clicking on a link to take you to a PDF of this 10-page spread in Texas Monthly. It's Texas Wine Month, and there's no better way to celebrate than to go out to a winery and to taste some Texas wine. Texas Hill Country Wineries and North Texas Wine Country are both holding big passport events during October. These passport events include complimentary tastings and sometimes discounted bottle purchases. The Hill Country Passport events includes 47 wineries, and they're grouped by day trip on their website. The North Texas event includes 40 wineries. Events in both regions last all month long, and tickets are limited. Go in line to book your tickets and know that you may still need reservations at the wineries. There are a number of wine dinners happening during the month of October. I mentioned the Texas Fine Wine Dinner at the top of this segment. It's going to be held on Friday, October 15th at Dukeman Family Winery in Driftwood. They've also got a dinner on the books in Houston on October 21st. If you visit uncorktexaswines.com, you can see a calendar that includes October dinners in Fredericksburg, Grapevine, Lubbock, Johnson City, and more added regularly. There are special events at Messinahoff, Texas Hills Vineyard, Llano Estacado, and more. Or if a golf tournament is more your speed, Texas Hill Country Wineries is sponsoring one on Monday, October 25th in Blanco. Proceeds will benefit the Texas Hill Country Wine Industry Scholarship. Be sure and check with your favorite winery to see what they have planned. This is the best month to be a Texas wine drinker. Eater Austin came out with a big feature on Texas wine that includes several different parts. A Texas Wine 101 segment, a guide to about 15 Texas Hill Country wineries, and detailed profiles of five Texas wineries or winemakers. It was mentioned on social media, and I did think it was odd that two Austin tasting rooms, the two places that I always recommend for people to visit in Austin, were both left off of the guide to wineries. Just curious because the publication is Eater Austin, and presumably people are most interested in the wineries that are closest to their homes. Of course, I'm talking about the Austin Winery and the Texas AVA Tasting Room, which is shared by Wine for the People and C.L. Buto. Ray Wilson of Wine for the People did get a full profile that mentions the tasting room, though, but both of these places deserve to be on this list. There are all kinds of Texas wineries and vineyards for sale. The first two wineries for sale are not identified by name in the real estate listings, but I figured it out based on the accompanying photos. I'll link to them in the show notes, and you can probably see for yourself. The first is a 14-acre property right on the 290 Wine Trail. It has frontage on 290 and on the Pedernales River. There are just a few acres of Tanat and Morvedra vines planted, but there's room to plant more. And the original 1800s home is now the tasting room. It's got gorgeous spaces inside and out. Price is available upon request. The second winery for sale is described as a profitable Texas winery with multiple locations. 
It's a 10,000-case winery based in San Saba in a historic 1926 tasting room. If you've listened to this podcast for long, you've probably heard about this winery straight from the owner and winemaker. The price is $5.5 million. And finally, I bet you've heard of Andy Timmons, probably the best-known Texas wine grape grower. Well, his home and vineyard is for sale in Lubbock County. The property is a four-bedroom, three-bath with over 4,600 square feet. It's on a 10-acre plot, and the gorgeous Tuscan home is surrounded by vineyards. Asking price is just over $1.8 million. The listing states that the seller is willing to continue the success of this vineyard on a leaseback agreement or custom management agreement. But that's not all. There's also an additional adjacent 10-acre property available in a separate listing. That's 10 more acres of grapes. Asking price for that land is $1 million. You may have had a Texas wine from the Timmins Estate Vineyard. I know that those grapes grown there go to Lost Straw Cellars and to William Chris and possibly other wineries as well. So there are a lot of California winemakers, viticulturalists, and wineries coming to Texas. They're working at existing wineries and starting up their own. The most recent that I discovered is Serrano Wine, and I heard about them from an article on cron.com, which is a blog affiliated with the Houston Chronicle. The article is titled, A Harry Potter-Themed California Winery is Coming to the Texas Hill Country. The first part of the article reads, Texas's budding wine scene is getting a magical new entrant all the way from Paso Robles. Serrano Wine, founded by husband and wife team Bryce and Sarah Garrett, is bringing its Harry Potter-themed wines to the Texas Hill Country. So you're either thinking that sounds pretty cheesy and that's not at all what Texas wine needs, or you're wanting to go immediately and buy up all of these Harry Potter-themed wines. I admit I was in the first camp, thinking that this winery surely wouldn't lead with this if they're serious about making Texas wine. Well, I learned a lesson here because, in fact, it seems that Serrano Wine is a serious winery in Paso Robles that is relocating to Texas to be a part of the Texas wine scene. They've bought a 10-acre property in High and are planning on building a tasting room, hopefully to be open by the spring, and eventually a winery. And they're headed to Texas full-time. They've already got a big-time supporter in Katie Jane Seaton, a real dynamo who's responsible for farmhouse vineyard wines and so many other things that happen in the High Plains. She's also an executive producer for Texas Winemakers YouTube series, so she's definitely someone you want in your corner when you're the new kid on the block. And here's what Katie Jane says about it. Please help me make welcome beautiful, talented, authentic Sarah Garrett of Serrano Wine in Paso. Coming soon, Serrano Wine, High, Texas. Take note, we've been screaming into the atmosphere, we're as good as California, we're as good as anywhere in the world, as an industry. For 30 plus years, this has been our speak. So when a California winery wants to invest in making Texas wine, shouldn't we see it for the compliment that it is? I do. I hope you'll join me in it. So I'll close this out by saying that, yes, Serrano Wines does have some Harry Potter-themed wines. Sarah says she's a Slytherin, and there are wines with clever names like Firebolt and Liquid Luck. But the real issue here is that this article fails to tell us anything about what we really want to know. Do our new neighbors want to make Texas wine? Do they want to be part of the community and help advance the industry? Thankfully, in this case, the answer appears to be yes. A recent article in the Washington Post is called Napa Wineries Needn't Be the Benchmark. Let's appreciate what other regions do well, too. The author opened the article with a post that was made in a Virginia Wine Facebook group. The, the post said, I need recommendations on Charlottesville wineries that have wines that are comparable, or at least as close as we can come, to Napa wines. I have a friend visiting who thus far has been very unimpressed with Virginia wines in comparison to Napa. She specifically likes those bold, big, fruit-forward reds, as well as an amazing Chardonnay. Well, as you can imagine, this post generated a lot of discussion. While some folks tried to point out the most Napa-like Virginia wineries, other people took a different approach with the poster. They said, why try to convince your Napa-loving friend that Virginia can produce Napa-like wines? when Virginia produces unique wines of its own. Why not showcase Virginia's wines on their own merit? Well, that's a familiar refrain you've heard from many who've been on this podcast. 
The author of this article goes on to give some suggestions from several states, including Texas. He says these showcase what each state does best. He says Texas wines don't taste like Napa's either, but we shouldn't hold that against them. McPherson Cellars, William Chris, Pedernales, and others are producing quality wines from Spanish grapes, such as Tempranillo and Mataro, which is Morvedra in France. A friend of mine extols the wines of Adega Vino Winery in the Texas Hill Country north of San Antonio. Pro tip, leverage your friends and their palates. He says the short lesson here is don't hold your local wines to a Napa standard and don't let your friends do so either. Each region in this country is finding its own voice, and the wines are good enough that we can celebrate them rather than make excuses for them. Wherever you go, enjoy wines from around here, wherever here happens to be. The link to this article and to all the news I've mentioned is in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. My newsletter subscribers get to hear all the the behind-the-scenes stories of putting out a Texas wine podcast. They also get some fun freebies, which in the past have included a Texas wine quiz, a list of my favorite wines from the early pandemic phase, and most recently, a Texas wine crossword puzzle. The newsletter includes my latest wine experiences and some favorite wines that I don't have time to talk about on the show. To get in on the fun, please sign up for the podcast newsletter on the website, thisistexaswine.com. Then click Newsletter Sign Up. My guest, Jennifer McInnes Fidel, is the general manager of Bending Branch Winery in Comfort, Texas. She's been at Bending Branch for almost seven years, and before that, she was telling the story of Texas wine as a food and drink writer for the San Antonio Express News. Jennifer recently served as VP, President, and Member-at-Large for the Texas Hill Country Wineries, and is an enthusiastic supporter of the Texas wine industry. Here's our interview. All right, Jennifer, thank you for being with me today to talk a little bit about Bending Branch and all you have going on in Comfort, Texas. Jennifer, go ahead and tell me where the story of Bending Branch starts. Well, hi, Shelley. Thank you for having me. Uh, Sure. Bending Branch Winery was founded in 2000. Nine by uh, Dr. Robert Young and his wife, Brenda Young, when they moved to Texas. And we all know him as Dr. Bob. He is Dr. Bob. He's Dr. Bob, a mad scientist sometimes. Well, when I was down in Comfort several years ago, I took Dr. Russ Kane's class to become a specialist of Texas wine. And that class actually took place at your tasting room in downtown Comfort. And then we took a field trip out to Bending Branch. And Dr. Bob actually gave a lecture to our class, and he is a specialist in fermentation science, if I remember correctly. So, um, boy, he had a lot of information to share, and a lot of it was over my head, to be honest. Sure, he sure does. Uh, He is always looking for innovative ways to extract more from the grapes than a typical fermentation would. So, and that really kind of comes from his background as a doctor. Um, Dr. Bob uh, retired as a medical practitioner. He was among the first in the country to form a group of hospitalists in Atlanta. And um, he also ran two state health administrations and has a master's in public health. And uh, he very much takes his approach as a doctor of finding new and innovative ways to do things. Uh, he takes that same approach to winemaking and um, has really pioneered uh, two different fermentation techniques here. One is cryomaceration, where he freezes the grapes first and then thaws them out and starts fermentation. Uh, freezing expands. Anything you freeze expands, and so it breaks down some of the cellular structure of the grape. Um, and so we're able to extract uh, 40%, 40 to 50% more color and flavor from the grapes. Uh, the other fermentation technique that he's employed here is uh, flash detente. And uh, Bending Branch had the first flash in Texas. Uh, it was actually, it was the first one outside of California at the time in 2014. And um, that is a biothermo heater where it heats the grapes to 185 degrees and then um, flash cools them to 85 degrees in a matter of seconds. And so the berry just bursts and we get nearly 100% extraction. So that would explain how some of the bending branch wines that I've had are such big 
full-bodied red wines, um, Tanat and Cabernet Sauvignon in particular. Would you consider those your signature red wines? We've got several. I mean, Tanat is obviously our uh, the grape that he has pioneered in Texas. Uh, he was among one of uh, three wineries that introduced that grape in 2008 in Texas. And um, that is certainly, Tanat is synonymous with Benning Branch. We are the Tanat House of Texas. Uh, but he also has worked with other really interesting grape varieties that he's put on the map here, like Souchal, Charbono, Sagrantino. Again, those big, bold reds that you're talking about, That those are the, the wine style that he likes um, and those are great varieties that are really well suited to our climate here in Texas. What about on the white side? Uh, for whites, we do make a uh, peak pool blanc. Dr. Bob was the first to plant peak pool blanc in Texas here on the property at the estate. And, um, we also make, uh, a comfortage, which is from Roussan, which is a very, you know, the marriage of we're in comfort, Texas and where the grape is from in Hermitage. Um, and then we also make a single barrel blanc that is peak pool blanc that we age in bourbon barrels. Excellent. I want to talk a little bit more about that in the, in the moment. Um, but now that we understand a little bit more about Bending Branch, tell me how you ended up at Bending Branch and what you do there. Sure. Uh, I came to Bending Branch in January of 2015. I had been a wine club member here previously, and I also, in my prior life, was the food and drink editor at the San Antonio Express News, and I wrote about the Texas wine industry and um, always felt like Bending Branch was at the top of what was happening in Texas and really pushing the envelope. Over time, I, I was writing more and more about the industry and, and what was happening with the funding from the government, uh, our government, and, or the lack thereof, and also uh, the grower side. And it really just started to kind of take over my life. And so um, I was approached in 2015, and it was the right time. And I came on board originally as director of sales and marketing and became general manager in 2016. So um, it's been a wild ride. It's exciting. Every day is different. I'm sure that's true. What is exactly does a general manager at a winery do? What does your normal day look like? I wouldn't have expected that you were going to be coming to me today after having done punch downs, for instance. But tell me, what all do you do at the <laughs> Uh, I do whatever needs to be done. Uh, that's what the general manager does. Uh, but I, I mainly, I oversee kind of uh, total operations, you know, daily operations. So uh, I make sure that all the plates are spinning in the same direction, uh, really manage the workflow between, you know, back of the house, front of the house, uh, helping with um, communication from growers to incoming, you know, fruit that's incoming. Also um, helping just manage the workflow and the staffing uh, in production and also the marketing side and sales side. We run, um, well, we run four tasting rooms. We consider four. We've got our, our main tasting room, our wine club lounge. Uh, we do also have Ursa Vineyards at Branch on High in downtown Comfort. And then we're the Pearl Farmers Market in downtown San Antonio on Saturdays and Sundays. And so uh, we've got a team of about 35 people. And I, I just kind of oversee and make sure that all of it is spinning. That's a big operation. You, you mentioned the Pearl Farmers Market. Something I've noticed is that a lot of wineries start out by pouring in farmer's markets, but you are very well established at Bending Branch and you're still at the farmer's market. So tell me, why do you think that's an important avenue for distribution? What do you find at the farmer's market? Sure. Well, I think the key to, um, to consumers, you know, the gateway to consumers, obviously, is letting, allowing them to taste the product. And uh, Bending Branch is in Comfort, Texas. So we're 56 acres. We're kind of tucked away. We're a destination winery. And I do want to talk a little bit more about comfort in a bit, but, um, you know, we're not on the main drag uh, in Fredericksburg or from Fredericksburg to Johnson City. And so uh, and we also consider San Antonio our home market because we are the shortest drive from San Antonio. It's about 45 minutes. Um, and so uh, we've been at Pearl for quite a few years now, um, but it is just really... Uh, a great way to have exposure. And uh, a lot of times people will taste our wine for the first time at the Pearl. And then we're close enough that they'll drive out here that afternoon and uh, experience the estate. 
uh, or we'll have people who come out here and say, oh, I saw you guys at the Pearl. I go to the Pearl all the time. It's the first time I've come out to the estate. And so uh, also, you know, San Antonio is seventh largest city in the country. And so and there's a lot of tourism there. And so it's really great exposure uh, for us to, you know, get exposure, not just to locals, but people who might be visiting Texas and and get a Texas wine experience. And of course, we can ship to uh, over 40 states. And so um, that's always a nice bonus when they figure out that we can ship it directly to their doors. So you were one of the original Texas wine writers. And I wonder what kind of stories you were reporting on when you were working for the San Antonio Express News. And um, then if you look forward into where we are today, I mean, what what stories do you think are most interesting and, and even some that are untold about what's going on right now in Texas wine? Oh, my goodness. How much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Loaded question. Uh, well, I was writing about, I originally started writing about the loss of funding uh, and how that would impact the industry. Can you tell me more about that? Because I'm not even sure I understand what, where was the funding coming from and what did it go toward? Sure. I think it was 2009 or 2010 when we had a massive state budget shortfall. And so the, the funding for the marketing of research for the TDA program, for the, um, I believe it was TDA, but for uh, state funding to promote our uh, industry was cut. And, um, it was really an uncertain time about, you know, we were just this establishing uh, this industry in the state. And so you started to see groups form to take the funding uh, into their own hands. Like, you know, we're with Texas Fine Wine. That's one of the groups. But um, also you saw like the larger organizations, Twiga and THCW, Texas Hill Country Wineries, uh, look at funding mechanisms. But um, then I was writing about uh, the generations, you know, this is a multi-generational industry where, um, and I thought it was interesting to cover, you know, some of the original growers and pioneers, and then, you know, the second generation and the newer wineries and tasting rooms that were popping up. I've been going out to the Texas wine trail, you know, 290 since I was barely old enough to drink. And so I have you know, been a consumer and watched it grow from, from where it started to where it is now. And, um, and so I, I also wrote about, uh, when Texas Tech started its viticulture and enology program. And, and I think those are all really big game changers. You know, if you think about those, those moments where, um, the industry really had to assess like, okay, how are we going to spread our own message? And um, all of this new um, education, you know, now there, there was education in the state. So we were growing growers and winemakers in our own state. And um, I think those are the, the big pinnacle moments that you could look back over like the last 12 years and see uh, how far we've come in education um, and, and also a bit of an influx of, you know, some winemakers and and people in the industry from outside the state and just the sharing of knowledge that has happened. And so 2013 was a a year that, you know, the freeze nearly decimated uh, the red wine crop, almost the entire wine crop in Texas. I wrote about that. And, And I think those moments too, you saw people putting in, wind fans and hail netting and um, all of these things that have happened in a very short period of time. And so those are the kinds of things I was covering. Those are the kinds of things that I think are, are still really interesting and are game changers. I think uh, we're still figuring out those things, you know, uh, but certainly uh, we've come a long way in, in terms of the, gr- the grapes that we are growing in this state uh, in the areas that we are growing them. And um, you're really starting to see like these, not just the AVAs that are established, but kind of the sub regions inside of the AVAs that are well suited for specific grape varieties. And um, it's just, it's very exciting. Those are some of the things I think I would be writing about like new, new growing regions. That's really exciting. I think you have there in comfort a, an estate vineyard, and then you also bring in fruit from the High Plains or other areas of Texas? 
Yes. So uh, we do have a small vineyard here on the property. Originally, there were 16 acres of an experimental vineyard to see what would work here. Unfortunately, there was Pierce's disease out here and we had to pull it all out in 2016. We have replanted an acre here of uh, Crimson Cabernet that is a genetic cross between Norton and Cabernet Sauvignon. So it is known to be disease resistant. And uh, we will harvest off of that block for the first time next year. But since the beginning, Dr. Bob has uh, really been smart about partnering with, you know, growers who uh, are really excellent at what they do. And so we source from, um, I'd have to actually look at the board this, this year is so wild and crazy, <laughs> but uh, it's typically about 12 to 15 different vineyards throughout the state. And so um, there are two vineyards here, one in Centerpoint and one in Comfort that we source from and uh, that are the blocks that all come, they come to Bending Branch. And then um, we also work with Talent Vineyards, Drew Talent in Mason, Texas. Uh, we're actually getting fruit in tomorrow from there. And uh, then we, of course, work with uh, Neil Newsom in the High Plains. That's been a, a very long time uh, relationship. And and then a couple of new growers up in the High Plains, the Froze family, the Friesen family, and um, a few more. So yeah, it comes out, all, it comes from the Hill Country and the High Plains. And of course, we still have our small brand in California, Ursa Vineyards. That's in Placerville, just between uh, Sacramento and Lake Tahoe. So did Texas come first or did California come first? Uh, well, Texas came first. So Dr. Bob, uh, while he was practicing medicine, was also going through the UC Davis winemaking certificate program. And he is... Uh, really remarkable that he, he's just, he's, he works all day and all night. Um, so he got his winemaking certificate through that program and he was finishing his practice in Atlanta, uh, his hospitalist practice and, uh, sold that business and, uh, came to Texas cause there were, his daughter was here and she was starting a family. Um, he had always loved wine, but, uh, really wanted to get into winemaking. And so he knew he did not have the practical winemaking experience. And so he hired a consultant out of California, which is Greg Stokes. And uh, Greg and his wife, Deborah, had started uh, Ursa Vineyards. But Greg had a very long career in winemaking in California um, at David Bruce Winery uh, and some other wineries. But he had been there for a while before they started Ursa. But what attracted the two of them together was Deb and Greg made the very first Tanat in California. And so uh, that was a match made in heaven. And Greg began consulting for Dr. Bob and Brenda in 2008, uh, the property, uh, when they bought the property here in Comfort, and then originally, you know, helped them get things up and running here. In the beginning, it was very hard to source grapes in Texas. They were all under contract by larger, more established wineries. I mean, you think about 2009, we did not have the acreage and the ground that we have now. And so they started by sourcing grapes from California. So yes, in the, in the beginning, Dr. Dr. Bob would go to California, they would make the wines there, and then they would come to Bending Branch in barrel. So the California wines made in California, Texas wines made in Texas. We do still make some of those wines, like Old Vine Petite Syrah, that was planted in 1972 in Paso Robles just doesn't even exist here, you know, that kind of age in, in Texas. And so uh, if we stopped making that wine, we'd have mutiny in our wine club. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Greg, in 2014, Dr. Bob bought the Ursa brand. And um, so Greg uh, comes back and forth from California to Texas uh, about every six weeks or so. And he's just the wealth of information. And um, we're really, really honored, a privilege to have him on our team. Cool. So over time, um, you know, obviously, as you learn to work with a vineyard and you understand what you can, what that vineyard will do year over year, really where the Bending Branch program has gone is um, most of our wines are single variety and uh, most of them also are vineyard designated. Uh, they've always primarily been vineyard designated. If you were pouring for someone that had never had Bending Branch wines before, what is maybe one red and one white and from any year that you've been in existence that you would want someone to taste to kind of experience the, the full 
um, breadth of Bending Branch? Wow. Um, well, if I was pouring a white wine for them, I would be pouring them Pic Pou Blanc because it is the sig- signature white wine grape here. And uh, just to really show that Texas can uh, have a, a high acid white wine. It's, it's a really beautiful wine. And um, if I had to pick a year, I would say probably 2011, which was off of the estate here. And we actually have a couple of bottles of that wine left. We tasted it. Uh, it's holding up really well. It's a white wine that, that ha- can age. We start it in start fermentation in stainless and then we transfer it into oak uh, right before it finishes. So it gets a little bit of creaminess, richness, texture, uh, on the palate. It's, it's beautiful. It's a really food friendly wine. Um, if I were pouring them a red and you're making me only choose one, which is really difficult, I would have to probably pour the 2011 estate to not that won the top Texas wine award in 2014. Also a wine that's holding up really beautifully. Um, it was one of the first wines that Dr. Bob tried cryo on and, um, and it's just stunning. But if I could pour two, Shelly, I, <laughs> I would also pour uh, the Cabernet Sauvignon, um, the 2017. We just released the 18 and it's banging also. But the 2017 Cabernet Sauvignon that uh, is from Newsom Vineyards is a beautiful wine. I think it blows people's minds of how Cab can perform in Texas. And I love to taste it blind and surprise people. Those 2017s and 18s, frankly, delicious. 18s. And I think 2021 is going to be a great year. The fruit quality is amazing. Excellent. So tell me a little bit about what it's like to be um, a wine club member at Bending Branch and some of your signature events and things that, that folks are really excited about. And I want to hear about this blending event that I've seen on your social media. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we just had our first in-person wine club event in a year and a half on Saturday. And it was so much fun to see everybody. Uh, It was our paella picnic, uh, which is our signature event for club in September. And um, we did the format a little bit different this year. Uh, Usually we do it in, in the evening this year. We did it all day Saturday in three shifts. And we had paella and music and the weather was absolutely beautiful. And it was just an incredible day. And it was so great to see so many people that uh, we don't get to see all the time. Um, we have two wine clubs, uh, our Bending Branch Club and our 1840 Club. The property here was settled originally in 1840, and the settlers, original settler's cabin is on the property. Um, and so our Branch Club is our three-bottle club. Our uh, 1840 Club is our six-bottle club. We also have a case club that is customizable. Uh, it is uh, user choice, whereas the other two are winemaker choice. Uh, we have four releases a year, quarterly. And uh, our big event that's coming up for the 1840 Club that you asked about is our blending party, uh, which this year will be a blending experience again. So typically in non-COVID times, we have a blending party that's over two days. A team of up to eight people, they get four wines that are in barrel. Uh, typically they're wines that we are about to bottle and so they can buy futures on them. Uh, but they get to make their own blend and come up with a team name. And then Dr. Bob and I blind taste them and pick a winner uh, from each day. Last year, because of COVID, we changed it up and we did it all through the month of January where 1840 members can come any time in January. And that's how we're going to do it again this year. Uh, So they'll get their little blend uh, carafes of four different wines and make their own wine and turn in their their formula. And then Dr. Bob and I, well, the production team, seller team blends them for us. And we taste them blind over two days and come up with winners. And um, last year we did it on Facebook Live. We announced it, tasted it live, the top 10. And um, those teams get invited to a private dinner where we bring in a chef in the in the barrel room. And we actually were able to do the dinner last year because everybody had just gotten vaccinated. And um, so it was that was really special to do that event. 
That's cool. I saw part of that on Facebook Live, and I was thinking that would be a tough job to to try to narrow in on your favorite blend. It's a tough job, and Dr. Rob and I have very uh, different palettes. Uh, although it's so crazy, last year it was like they just really lined up. So I don't know if we've been doing this long enough together. I don't know who's rubbing off on who, but <laughs> you just know quality when you taste it. You know I know quality, yeah, and you know the winemaker's great. So no matter what, it's good wine. <laughs> sure. Our other signature so- event is not a club event. It is open to the public is our Kentucky Derby extravaganza, which is the first Saturday in May. Uh, Dr. Bob and Brenda are from Kentucky. And uh, so obviously they had to have a Kentucky Derby party. And that is how the single barrel Blanc came about the people Blanc that's aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, And so we make the juleps from that wine and we've not had that party in two years. I'm pretty confident we're going to be able to pull it off this year, and it is going to be big. There is a hat contest, Shelly. Start working on your hat. Nice. Now. That's exciting. (laughs) So tell me, what what influence does the bourbon barrel have on the pick pull? The bourbon barrel gives it a little bit more vanilla, a little hint of vanilla. I mean, you can just slightly taste the bourbon. The wine is finished. So the peak pool has been, you know, gone through its process of being stainless steel fermented, fermented, and then aged a little more, uh, finishes fermentation in barrel and then aged a little longer. And then we transfer it to the bourbon barrels. It goes into the bourbon barrels. Those bourbon barrels are the finest Kentucky bourbon barrels. Dr. Bob actually does source them from Kentucky. I'm not allowed to tell you where, but they are very, very high premium quality. And um, we have the enviable job of having to taste the single barrel block every couple of days until it's ready. And uh, Dr. Hobbs usually says, and on the 14th day. Then it's perfect. <laughs> it, varies from, it varies from year to year. But uh, we do taste it. And uh, he describes that wine as uh, it tastes like dew on Kentucky Derby morning. Oh, wow. That sounds lovely. It is lovely. Does it increase the alcohol a little bit too? It does. It, it yeah. typically does go up uh, one, one and a half percent. Yeah. So we do a separate label for it. Yeah. I've been to Comfort just briefly for a couple nights to take that Texas wine specialist class. What do you think people should know about Comfort and what, what would be the ideal day to spend in Comfort? Obviously a visit out to Bending Branch. Yes. Well, it starts with the visit of Bending Branch. Uh, Comfort is a, it's a really very cute town. It's its own destination. I would encourage people to come spend a weekend here. Uh, Bending Branch is here. We've of course got Ursa Vineyards at Branch on High downtown, but there are uh, five tasting rooms here now with, between the two, the Bending Branch, the Ursa. Uh, Singing Water Vineyards is here. There is a new winery that just opened called Hill Country Wineworks. And of course, uh, Newsom Vineyards, Nolan has a tasting room here as well. There's also a distillery here, Hill Country Distillers. Uh, Comfort Pizza is amazing. Uh, so if you're coming and uh, you want to eat at Comfort Pizza, you need to reserve your dough ball in advance, everybody. Pro tip, call ahead and it, reserve your dough ball, especially on the weekends. And then also there's Highs Cafe and Store. There's a lot of really cute shopping Um uh, antiques, uh, artists, a lot of artists down here. There's a uh, studio comfort. What they're doing at studio comfort right now is just really exciting. And, um, uh, quarterly, we also have a, a poetry reading here in town now that, uh, was at branch on high. Um, we're, we can't fit that many people indoors. So they're doing it. They just bought a new space or they're renting a space across the street. That's got all outdoors. They just did it. Um, it's really, really exciting. That's fun. I stayed at the cutest little place, Camp Comfort. Oh, adorable. Adorbs. I loved it there. It was like a, you know, summer camp for grownups. Loved it. Yeah. There's Camp Comfort. There's the Meyer B&B. Hotel Faust just rebranded. It's Hotel Giles. And they've done a lot of work uh, restoring that hotel. And um, it's, it's beautiful right across the street from our tasting room. So. Oh, perfect location. Perfect. What have I not asked you about that you want to be sure and mention? There is a lot going on. Uh, we're wrapping up harvest. I'm, I'm really fingers, toes, everything crossed that this will be our last week of fruit intake. It's been 
a long, wild ride this year and uh, really excited for this vintage, though. Let's see. We also didn't talk about um, the single barrel Pico Blanc is not the only wine we make in bourbon barrels. We also make a double barrel Tanat. Uh, to not that uh, typically we blend from different vineyards throughout Texas and uh, bourbon barrel age it a little longer. Um, when you bourbon barrel aged red wines uh, is, has become its own category. And if you go to the store and taste a lot of those, uh, like we did, a lot of them have uh, some residual sugar, a little bit of sweetness. Ours is a serious red bourbon barrel aged wine. And, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. People love it. We sell out every year. We can sell this without even opening it. Um, and then some really exciting news that I am going to give you the scoop is that Dr. Bob and Brenda have established an endowment with Texas A&M, uh, for underprivileged students of color who are pursuing enology and a horticulture degree at Texas A&M. And um, they did that through a fund that they had set up in honor of their son, Philip, who died when he was 18. And they've created a foundation from him and through the foundation have established this endowment endowment at Texas A&M. And so the first endowment will be awarded in fall of 2022. And we're really excited to um, support Texas A&M and their horticulture program and also uh, students who, who need the help. That's wonderful. That's a great legacy. Thank you. A little bit later in the podcast, I'm going to be giving a demerit as I sometimes do when I see things that aren't quite right in the wine industry in Texas. And my demerit actually has to do with A&M, but now I know who can solve this to make the demerit into a gold star. There's actually a, a wine that is, I guess the official wine of Texas A&M, but it's not a Texas wine. But it could be. <laughs> it's actually a Rioja, which I'm sure is a lovely wine. But I figure if it has a Texas University on the label, that it should be a Texas wine. We need to get that fixed in a hurry. Yep. Well, we could take care of that for them. We have a, a custom crush program here at Bending Bridge also. We make wines for uh, quite a few smaller upstarts, you know, people who are just getting into this industry. And um, so, yeah, have, have him call us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get on that right away. <laughs> it sounds like an exciting time to be at Bending Branch and um, finishing up harvest, getting back to some in-person events, and um, lots going on. There's lots going on. We're gearing up for Texas Wine Month. Indeed. There's a lot going on in Texas Wine Month. Uh, dinners all over the place. Travel. We're traveling again. So it's exciting. Well, if you make it back up to Dallas, please look me up. Absolutely. Thank you, Jennifer, for taking the time to talk with me. You can connect with Bending Branch on social media at Bending Branch Winery on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The website is bendingbranchwinery.com. The tasting room and comfort is open seven days a week from noon to six, and all tasting is done outdoors. Stay tuned for a word about Texas Wine Month and then demerits and gold stars. If you're looking for a place to stay in Fredericksburg, check out heavenlyhosts.com. In particular, look for my two-bedroom, one-bath cottage located less than a mile from Main Street. We're calling it Cork and Cactus. Heavenly Host has the cutest houses and the best service in the area. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway on a nearby ranch or a cute cottage like mine just blocks from Main Street. My best suggestion is to book way in advance because lodging in Fredericksburg books up really fast. You can book Cork and Cactus at heavenlyhosts.com and tell them the Texas Wine Podcast sent you. I want to share a word about Texas Wine Month. This month-long event during the month of October was signed into law by Governor George W. Bush in 1999 when Susan Combs was Agriculture Commissioner. At that time, there were just over 20 Texas wineries. Texas was not the first state to have a wine month. Virginia gets that distinction. Its wine month was first celebrated in 1988. We did beat California, though. California Wine Month started in 2004. I'm celebrating this month, and I'm planning to start by judging at the 38th annual Lone Star International Wine Competition. 
Of course, that is hosted by the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association, and it will take place on October 6th and 7th in Grapevine. And of course, this month, I'll be drinking plenty of Texas wine, recording some interviews with Texas wine people, and visiting some Texas wineries. If you're drinking Texas wine and visiting wineries too, tag me in your posts. I'm at Texas Wine Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Now it's time for demerits and gold stars. My gold star goes to William Chris Vineyards for winning an honorable mention in the Wine Spectators 2021 video contest. The finalists all get to tell a story of their love for and enjoyment of wine. Honestly, I thought several of them were pretty bad, but the William Chris Vineyards entry is beautifully shot and edited with the messaging that you expect from Chris Brundrett and Bill Blackman, the founders of William Chris Vineyards. The video is called Growing Wine, and it's all about the soil, the expression of the vintage, and the soul in wine. It's just two minutes, so check it out. And my demerit was submitted by a listener. He was shopping at HEB in College Station when he spotted a red wine with an ivory label featuring the number 12 in a maroon color quite prominently. If you're a Texas A&M fan, you know that that represents the Aggies' 12th man. It's a great tradition, a great Texas school. So you're expecting a great Texas wine, right? Nope. Actually, it's a Rioja from Spain. The back label reads, Celebrating excellence, leadership, integrity, loyalty, respect, and outstanding athletic achievements. So it's not officially a Texas A&M wine, but it sure hints that it has an affiliation. I know we've got Aggie winemakers here in Texas. There's even a winery called 12 Fires that's owned by three former Texas Aggie cadets. Sure would be nice if all the Texas schools that have an affiliated wine commit to a wine from our great state. I welcome your feedback, so please get in touch on social media at Texas Wine Pod or send me an email, texaswinepod at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 802-585-1286. Maybe I'll share your comment or question on the next show. And podcasts are always free to listen to, but they're not free to produce. So if you're so inclined, you can support this podcast by visiting thisistexaswine.com and clicking on the support the podcast tab. It's easy to buy me a couple glasses of Texas wine. Thanks, y'all. Thanks to Denise Clark and Texas Fine Wine for helping me secure my podcast guest. And thanks to Texas Wine Lover website and Jeff Cope for helping promote the podcast. Visit TXWineLover.com to help you plan your next winery visit. Join me in two weeks for the next episode. Thank you for listening to This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all. <laughs>